Hello again, and welcome to the Fish Cast. Corey Long here, Charles Fish buying there. What up, Fish? What's up, man? I'm 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 excited about this one. You know, so yeah, I'm uh, excited about this guest. But we got a big announcement first, as Ethan Fishbine has changed. Uh, he is transferred. He is transferred out of one uh, youth league into another youth league. He hit the portal. Yeah, he hit. Wow. The, he hit the transfer portal. And and by the way, our our podcast pretty soon is going to be called Daddy Ballas because that's what <laughs> one of the coaches called me on a chat. He called me a daddy baller, meaning basically I'm not a coach. I don't know what I'm doing. And basically I'm a dad. That's a wannabe coach. So that's wow. That's going to be our new, that's going to be our new nickname or name of the show. When you come back on next time, Manny Navarra, daddy baller. (laughs) No respect for your game. Oh man. They just don't know. Hey, listen, I, you know, I tried, I tried, man. I tried. I tried to explain to them that I've been doing this for 30 years and actually know football. And even high school coaches told these guys, I know football, but it wasn't enough. I'm like, all right, time to, to trying to hit the transfer portal. Ethan's going to play in Dania. So yes, know. Dania around. It's, it's a much different crop of kids around Dania for him. So that's yeah, they a, can actually that's run. A, that's a good sign. <laughs> He'll actually be able to throw a pass and kids will be there on time. He so. can't out throw them. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. As, as you guys hear in the background, we've got Manny Navarro from the athletic with us today to discuss a wide variety of things. Manny covers all things. Miami Hurricanes for the uh, athletic. Do you do anything else for the athletic? Like they got y'all doing like dual jobs sometimes. Like you doing like the Hurricanes and also like, like you know, it's like like just like like the South Beach like news, like South Beach crime news out there and something. Like what else do you do out there? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I've done mostly Hurricanes. Uh, you know, for the f- five six years I've been with them now, but uh, I'm doing a lot of ACC football. Okay. Uh, doing a lot sure. of recruiting stuff in the state of Florida, so I'm I'm kind of all, all over the place. Uh, hey, for the we athletic. Get it. We get all that then. That's all kind of stuff that we like. So we they they promoted you from just hurricanes to ACC football guru Manny Navarro. Uh, <laughs> first of all, uh, first of all, we're actually going to start off with some melancholy news. Uh, Someone that we all know that we've all dealt with, uh, Alex Collins. Uh, he died Saturday, excuse me, Sunday. Uh, died in a motorcycle crash at the far too young age of twenty-eight years old. Uh, I met Alex probably when he was like a sophomore or a junior. So he must have been about sixteen at Plantation High School. I know you covered Alex during his uh, run uh, running high schools, and I know Fish had a pretty close relationship with him as well. Um, just a, a really talented, talented football player coming out of high school. Uh, he was probably best known, and this is Fish and I were actually there that day. He was probably best known for a signing day fiasco where his mama did not want to sign him over to the University of Arkansas, which is where he committed. She wanted him to go to Miami. She uh, took it, for all accounts, she took like his uh, – his letter of intent just left the school and said to heck with it, or she locked herself in a closet or something. Uh, the next day they ended up uh, finding his dad and doing it there. And I, I just remember if I had anything I remember about Alex, it was that night we saw him at uh, Larry Bluestein's. Uh, he has a sign. He had a signing day event and he was there and you wouldn't have thought anything happened. You know, he was just such a nice, soft spoken kid with a great sense of humor um uh, you know it's just uh it's always unfortunate we've had a lot of you know we had a lot of kids that we covered in high school in that area that have died unfortunately and I, I was pretty shocked to see him pass but uh I I just remember he was he had a great career at Arkansas he like I said he was just a really I just remember him being a soft-spoken nice kid from plantation I remember him wearing camouflage overalls and a camouflage tie to his signing i think he i think he had it at boat campers the next day if i'm not mistaken like yeah i think they put it at a restaurant because they wanted to get they wanted to kind of like shield the media and if, if you were there it was either you or andre that was there that was with yeah you. I, I was there that day i was yeah. uh it was a boat campers in plantation yeah boat uh, campers in plantation yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh fish thoughts on alex collins no, listen, he was a great football player. Um, I remember going to the school the first time over to that school and, and Doug Gatewood was the head coach. 
And he's like, man, I got this stud running back. And I'm like, man, South Plantation, they didn't really have a ton of football players that really were to that level. I mean, Robbie Anderson came out of there, but they it was one of those schools that it'd be like once every five years, they'd have a big time prospect. And he brought him in and I'm like, man, this is a good looking kid. He was from Dillard. He was one of those Dillard transfers. Um, and at the time, a lot of people thought he was going to Miami, but knowing the situation, I believe he moved into the Gatewood family's home because he didn't have a mom and dad really uh, that he was living with at the time. And, you know, a lot of people didn't know this. There was a prior relationship. You know, Charlie Partridge was a very good friend of uh, Gatewood and, and, you know, you know, Gatewood trusted Charlie. And that's why the kid ended up going to Arkansas. People would, were saying, oh, they paid the kid and this and that. It really was about trusting in that relationship. And he felt that that offense that Brett Belima was running uh, was a better fit than Miami or Florida State or whoever else was recruiting uh, Alex at the time. But I remember watching him the first time, and he was really a really good player. And, and like I said, South Plantation wasn't known for players. So it was really – he was like – should have been a higher-ranked kid than he really was at the time. And Arkansas got a great player. He had a great career at Arkansas and then ended up going to the NFL. And it's sad that what happened uh, because, you know, you know, he's so young. I mean, you're talking what, 27, 28 years old that this guy passed away. So um, he'll be missed, but uh, it's a sad situation. Yeah, Manny, that, uh, that recruitment, like I, I kind of came on the end of the recruitment because I, I was working for ESPN at the time. So I was everywhere. Was that recruitment like, was that just, was that a heated recruitment between Miami and Arkansas? Do you remember? I mean, I don't know how heated it, it really got. I mean, I, I think Alex, like Fish alluded to, he had uh, his reasons for going to Arkansas, and it was obviously the relationship with Partridge. And, um, you know, I think I think Miami obviously really wanted him. Uh, they weren't very good at the time. <laughs> they needed good players. Although I think they had signed Duke Johnson the year, the year prior. And so it was kind of like, um, you know, Duke had come in there as a freshman and really torn it up. So at the time, like from a football perspective, it made sense for Alex to go to Arkansas because Duke was going to be the guy at Miami the next couple of years. So um, I understood it. Um, I, I know that uh, the Miami coaches were kind of disappointed. They didn't get him. But, uh, you know, what I what I'll say this about Alex, you know, when I when I first met him and got to know him and I, and I wrote the story on him, uh, we spent. I remember we spent about two or three hours together at on campus there at the school. And, and I wanted to kind of get to know him beyond football. And he had so much personality. He talked about, you know, playing the piano. He, he was playing the piano like uh, at at South Plantation, <laughs> playing it for their for his teammates, doing these Alicia Keys songs. And I know when he got to the uh, when he got to the NFL and, and was in college, he did a bunch of uh, videos of doing like the Irish jig and, and all these kind of, you know, he he wanted to learn sign language. He was just a kid that wasn't your typical football player right who's just like just all about ball like Alex I think had that personality that gravitated towards more and so uh that always stuck out to me about him besides the long hair and the beard and the fact that he looked like Ricky Williams a little bit with the with, with yeah. that look uh I think what what always stood out to me was was the fact that he was far more interested in the world and and, and in other things than just football and and uh he'll be missed he's he's yeah. a good good young man 28 years old uh and and i hate it Corey, because feel, i feel like every year man we're writing about you know sam bruce uh died a couple years ago um yeah. you know uh -oh. i got to know brian potter really well obviously that tragedy happened uh more you know 15 years ago but but still it's it, it there's too many guys sean taylor just too many young guys that we've that we've gotten to know here in south florida that have passed away yeah yeah it's uh yeah it's it's been yeah, I, I, you know, with Alex, I just, like I said, I thought he just handled the whole signing day thing so well. And it was just, and, you know, I think, you know, because it was a big deal. I got a fish, God, I don't know how many phone calls you got. I know Charlie Partridge called me at least three times that day. I was on like our random Arkansas radio. I did a sports center hit that day. I did a sports center hit the next day about it because it got, it got national attention. And, you know, and you just, and he just, he just seemed to be, He's like, it'll all work itself out, you know. And I, and one, one, when, when he brought in his dad, who like no one ever thought, like we were all like, well, how do you make <laughs> yeah. this work? Here comes his dad. And I'm like, yeah. well, college football has some reach, man. College football has some serious reach, well, you know. So, 
I mean, Corey, when you look at the whole recruitment of that day, it wasn't just Alex, I believe, and I could be wrong. I think Matthew Thomas earlier that day had chosen Florida State and FSU, a Miami fan thought Matthew was going there. And then you had um, Kirkland, who ended up at Arkansas as well. Yeah, that was uh, a rough and, day. I was at Booker T that morning. It was, it was a rough day. Because I remember going to see Al Golden the next day. I mean, Coley had brought me down, and I had met with Gal Golden. And he looked, He had a look of defeat. I mean, they, they did pull – uh, Stacy Coley. So they did pull the one kid late at the end that everybody thought was going to Florida state. He even, he even had a garden and gold, uh, tie on and everybody was like, all right, this is a done deal. And, and Miami did pull him, but that was a, a big day in college football. As far as just weird recruitments. Like I said, Matthew Thomas, Denver Kirkland, uh, uh, Alex Collins, uh, Stacy Coley, all of those things went off the rails. That day, yeah. me and Corey were together, and it was like yeah. we take one. We we were heading down to Alex Collins School, and they locked us out. Like they would yeah. not let us into the <laughs> school. Yeah, and we're like, man, this day can't get any more crazy. And then Alex at the end chose, you know, chose Arkansas, and his mom decided to be like a track star and jump over the table and grab <laughs> the national letter of intent. She, we saw where Alex got her his athletic ability, and that thing they shut it down and. I, he didn't what he didn't really commit he didn't really sign either that night till or the next day next it just day. It was the next day, day yeah. yeah so it was, it was just crazy the whole yeah. he was 17 he was 17 he needed a parent to sign with him he wasn't 18 yet right. so his dad came and they how arkansas found his dad we'll never know but they found his dad <laughs> he came in the next day and he was yeah. he's like proud of my son happy to do whatever he was like sign whatever yeah it's good (laughs) that that was before nils all right yeah long before nils and if you remember fishes we're riding i think we're riding either to or from matthew thomas deciding like i get a call i'm on tim brent radio because mississippi decided they wanted to just they cheated just hard that was gonna sign like laramie tunzel and kim dici and all them kids and like q freezes told everybody check me out investigate me and like you no, know it's, it, it wasn't really cheating that's just recruiting they had great recruiters on their staff they had yeah. they actually had a recruiter on their staff that was at a prior school and i'm not going to mention them because i like the coach a lot that that fan base thought the guy sucked it's a recruiter <laughs> and that next year he got recruiter of the year landing all those kids to old miss it's the funny same, what, it's the funny same coach bag. landed four number one players in four different states, <laughs> but the year before a, he was the worst recruiter in the country. It's funny, it's funny how large, circumstances change. Yeah. yeah, it's funny what a large bag of money will do to your recruiting ability. It's it's interesting. It's how it's crazy. You can just be terrible. Then you have I'm terrible, but with a half million dollars, now yeah. I'm a good recruiter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. Uh, all right, all right. So we're gonna get into this. Uh, First, we're going to talk about the Miami Hurricanes. We are, uh, you know, a few weeks away from their opener against uh, the Miami Ohio Red Hawks. Uh, you've been at a lot of hurricane practices, I'll assume. Uh, what have you seen? How do they look? Uh, are they? Are they? Do they? Do they look more like a Mario Cristobal team? What What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think at least up front, you know, on the offensive and defensive lines, I think uh, this is much more of the kind of size and depth that Mario wanted at the position. Um, you know, I, I I still don't think this is when people ask me this question, I've been asked about 10 times now, um, are they looking like Mario wants me? I still don't think they look like how he wants him at receiver and defensive back. I think those are still two areas where you look at their recruiting and you say, man, they they really need a big time receiver in this 24 class. They really could use uh, a world-class cornerback or uh, another safety to come in uh, in this next recruiting class. And they're, and they're trying, but uh, I think just from, from, from an offensive line, a defensive line perspective, I think he's done his job going out and, and recruiting some really talented guys, either through the portal or through the high school ranks. And, and, you know, I think between JV and Cohen and Matt Lee, uh, the new left guard and center, You've got, you know, two guys that have performed at a really high level for multiple years in college. Javian was a two-year starter at Alabama. Matt Lee was, a, was I think, a three-year starter at UCF, uh, an all-conference player. And, um, and then you had a Francis Maui Goa at right tackle. And, you know, it looks like a Alabama SEC-type offensive line. You go left to right. Uh, from, you know, Jalen Rivers at left tackle, Inez Cooper at right guard. When you're talking 6'5", 320-plus, 
at just every position. Uh, Matt Lee's the smallest guy, and he's 6'4", 295. So um, I, I think this is going to look like the kind of offensive line Mario wants. I think on the defensive side, um, you know, they were hurt when Daryl Jackson transferred to uh, Florida State. He was a 12-game starter for them last year, the big body in the middle that you want. Well, they went out and they got Branson Dean from Purdue, who was a two-year starter there for, for a team that won the Big Ten West title last year. Uh, you know, 6'2", 280, he's not the big, massive body you want in the middle, but he's started and played well in the Big Ten Conference. And so you pair him up with Leonard Taylor. Uh, you put a Nigel Lee Kelly, who, who Mari recruited in the previous cycle at one of the end spots. You mix in a Ruben Bain, who we know was a beast down here at Miami Central. Uh, and, and suddenly you've got a defensive line that has the size, speed, and athleticism you want. So uh, I think I think those two areas are much improved. I think there's other areas on this team that still are, are, are work in progress. Yeah. When you talk about Mario and, and his, you know, being in the SEC at Alabama and what, what he's seen when he was at Miami at their in their heyday, you know, I told Corey that two freshman offensive tackles don't look like freshmen. I mean, Malaluga and Sampson, are two massive human beings. These aren't guys that you have to develop. Like they're already developed physically. Now you want them to get in the weight room and and, and put on college weight and look better. Uh, but a year or two from now, what do you think is going to, those two guys are going to be like once they're in a college program like Miami? What What is their projection in your opinion two years from now, three years from now with those guys? Yeah, I mean, just from talking to Alex Mirabal uh, in practice uh, and in the preseason right before they got going, uh, he, you know, we, we had 10 minutes to ourselves and, and I kind of asked him, I said, well, how do you sort of project your offensive line? And and he goes, look, I rank them one through 17. And I said, all right. And he says, well, Maui Go is in the top five and Okanlola is number six for us. Like that's that's how we've used him, the first guy off the bench. So right away as true freshmen, both of these dudes are very much in the rotation, very much in the mix. I think if something happens to Jalen Rivers at left tackle, if he struggles uh, at all, because I, I view him more as an interior guy, um, I, I think Okanlola is going to be in that starting lineup along with Maigo. So we could see them starting, you know, from maybe the halfway point of this season on uh, the rest of the way uh, of, of their careers. I think they're that good. I think they're that talented. Uh, you know, uh, Okanlola is a guy who – uh he's six six three he came in six six three hundred pounds i think he's put on about 10 pounds since he's been at miami and in, in the time that he's been here just in the weight room and maui gola is up to six six three forty one now uh he came in at three fifteen and he's already three forty one and he made bruce feldman's uh freaks list this year so both of those kids in my mind are the cornerstones of what mario wants to do uh i know they really like uh bruno kinsler a kid who uh, was committed to the Gators before went to uh, Ocala Trinity Catholic, who's six six three three thirty. I think they sort of view him as the future left guard next to Okanlola. Um, he could be in the mix as well as early as next year. So, I think again, uh, this is a this is a unit where Mario and Alex Mirabal. I mean, Miami's this this may be Miami's best offensive line ever. Like if you think of the glory years when Miami was winning championships, they really didn't have. You know, offensive lineman this big, Charles. Uh, no, I mean, I mean Leon Searcy was probably the only really pro guy that they had. You go look at, um, mm -hmm. you know, the offensive tackle they got from. I forgot where he was from. Uh, he was like, uh, he was from like Canada or something. They've had these the guys. Minnesota. Yeah. Well, you you, you, you had Brian. Yeah, you hey. had Brian McKinney. No, Joaquin I mean, Gonzalez. You know, Joaquin was basically was a walk, oh, okay. was a walk yeah. on that basically had he was a junior like basically between uh harvard and and miami he chose the two schools yep. and he ended up a, a three or four year starter um so they the, i agree this is the most talented as far as upside offensive line that miami's had but mario knows what big time guys look like on the offensive line he had the guy at oregon that went in the first round of the lions one of the things i want to talk to you about we're going to put you in the bill james uh analytics side of it because Manny <laughs> shared some information with me where does Miami fit in the analytics as far as you're concerned as far as returning starters where this program can go based on the analytics that you broke down this year on uh, with this team and we're going to discuss this with some of the other teams as well uh, Florida State Florida Clemson some of the other teams where do they fit on the scale and where they're at 
tell the fans where you see them projecting this year based on starts and playing time and and reps and stuff so yeah fish is alluding to my uh my very vastly deeply uh what's what's the word i'm looking for researched uh excel sheets uh that i put together for him i sent him a couple of copies uh where i basically include the recruiting information uh their pro football focus scores the total snap counts for their career the number of starts i do this breakdown for every single position and every team in the acc and it i think it's a really good way of of just sort of measuring you know how much experience does each of these teams have coming back at every single one of the positions when you look at their depth chart like how screwed would they be if they lost uh, their starter, right? Like, would they have somebody who's capable of stepping into those shoes? Where would the talent gap be? Uh, those kind of questions. I, I think when you look at Miami's roster right now in the ACC, you could make the argument they're the third most talented team in the league behind Clemson uh, and Florida State because North Carolina um, has lost some of their guys to the transfer portal, some of those four- and five-star guys that they recruited. Uh, but I think realistically – taking into account, Charles, that they have a bunch of freshmen who I think are their best players at certain spots, right? Uh, you look at a, a Nathaniel Ray Ray Joseph, to me, he's potentially their best receiver and he's just a freshman. Um, I think you have to knock them down a couple notches. I think I think a program like Pat Narduzzi's at Pittsburgh, um, you know, and they, they just finished destroying Miami in the final game of the regular season last year. Um, yes, they've lost players. But Pat Narduzzi has a system. He's been there nine plus years now, and he he grooms guys over time. So I would say Pittsburgh is probably better than Miami. I would say North Carolina with Drake May at quarterback is probably more talented than Miami. I think the Canes are sort of comp competing for that fifth spot with teams like Louisville, uh, with teams like um, NC State. I think those are the kind of programs that Miami, when you look at them on paper and you say where they're at in terms of development of their players, they're probably the fifth best team in the ACC. But when you go back, oh, I'm sorry, Corey, but when you go back and you look at like where Butch Davis had that one team where they mm -hmm. had, you know, Santana Moss, they had Edger and James, a team that, I, you know, that I think that first year they, they may have only won five, six games, but you saw the potential. And then eventually those kids uh, took over. Miami talent wise, like you said, that freshman class is really talented. So there's hope for them as a fan base and a program that maybe those guys can do the same type of things that Butch did back then. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think Mario is doing a, a very good job of not only bringing in uh, size and, and speed and depth at a lot of positions. Um, he's bringing in alpha males, you know, which I think Miami is badly lacked here. Charles in the last you know 10 to 15 years you can look at Miami struggles right the number one thing I get from from fans all the time is how come we don't we don't get old school canes anymore right like with, and, and really it's it's so evident that you can sort of pick them out by hand like the number of guys who would have been able to play on the old Miami teams in terms of you know just leadership qualities in terms of having that quote-unquote dog in them right that that that, that are, you, you know going into battle you've got some dudes with you I think he's done that I think you know you look at a guy like Mark Fletcher the, the freshman running back who's 6'1 225 Mark played for state championships basically every year of his career at American Heritage and he's one of those kids who's no nonsense he's going to go up to you and tell you hey you suck right now you know you need to get your act together um, I think Ruben Bain is another one of those guys uh, playing for, for championships at Miami Central but those guys are freshmen so it's just a matter of time I think before we start seeing this Miami team look like an old school Miami team from a, from a leadership and a, and a big dog perspective, Ray Ray Joseph's another one at receiver. He, I mean, the number one comparison I get all the time is Santana Moss because of his work ethic, how ridiculous he is. He's in there catching balls on the jugs machine every single day, like beyond what his teammates are doing. And he's a freshman, but that's the kind of thing that when he's a sophomore junior and there's, and there's younger guys looking up to him, that's where I think you're really going to feel the ripple effects that of Mario's recruiting. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was going to say, you know, going back to your, uh, your, your ACC sheets is that it gives me a really good idea of what a team's ceiling and what a team's floor is based on, like you said, a sliding scale of experience to talent. And, you know, some teams might have a little bit more experience like Pitt and they might be able to, you know, get one over on a team that's a little bit more talented and younger, 
you know, but, you know, but it, it it's a really good guideline for, for that in terms of what I think a team's floor is and what I think a team's ceiling is. Um, along that line, they had a great, they have a great freshman class coming in uh, right now. They're recruiting around at a top 20 pace. There's been some stuff. Some of your uh, at your former outfit, the Miami Herald, just did a did a tremendous story. It was tremendous of reporting on uh, their their primary NI one of their primary NIL guys, uh, John Ruiz and uh, uh, Ruiz and his uh, his his company. And uh, I guess his company's in trouble. It was a, a lot of finance financial you know jargon in there. I was trying to figure out. I know he's been very uh, very vocal about him being sort of my he's kind of like Miami's NIL like if they had a mascot for their NIL collective it'd be him yes uh where is that at right now is that it mean is that is that affecting their recruitment is that a situation where did he get kind of an unofficial gag order to say hey man we need to we need to kind of slow your roll a little bit now what what's kind of happening there yeah, well, you know, listen, you're talking about John Reese and Life Waller, of course. Uh, John was was certainly uh, one of their their biggest financial supporter for when NIL launched. Uh, signed over 130 Miami athletes in various sports, including baseball and women's sports and basketball. And you know, he was a big reason Miami made it uh, to the Final Four in uh in in college basketball this year because he paid some players to come here and, and, and paid them well. And so there's no hiding that there's no uh, denial on the NIL. No, no reason to, but uh, yes, I, I, I reached out to somebody the moment that story ran, I reached out to someone very high up um, at Miami uh, to sort of find out, Hey, what kind of trouble does this honestly mean for the program? And the answer I got was uh, had this happened six months ago, um, when we were in the middle of our run to the final four, we're at a point where John Reese's money was really most of our NIL. We'd be screwed. Uh, but the fact that this is now going on uh, after the fact that Miami has launched its collective, the Canes connection, right? The one, you know, when state laws changed here, Corey, that sort of allowed the schools to start participating and, and, and get involved in the NIL push, um, and and they've got all these dollars from all these other millionaires and billionaires down here in South Florida. Uh, it's not as dire a situation. In fact, I was I asked specifically how much of John Reese's money uh, still makes up the NIL collective that Miami has. And I was told 20 percent at most. So um, while he may be in huge finan financial trouble, I think Miami's collective as a whole uh, has recovered well in the sense where. Now that the laws changed, they were able to, to really put a lot of money together and get these kids under contract under the Canes Connection Collective. And uh, if you if you follow them on Twitter, you've seen all these signings that they've announced here uh, over the last few months. Uh, I've, I've counted about 50 football players that are that are signed through Canes Connection. So I think, uh, you know. Certainly not good news when when your poster boy for NIL is uh, getting investigated by the feds. I'm not going to just, you know, sort of pass that over as not a big deal because who knows how that comes back to bite Miami in the ass. We've seen it before with Nevin Shapiro. We've seen it uh, with, with different people involved in the background. My, this isn't the first time Miami's had trouble with the NCAA, right? Yeah. No. Um, but uh, I, I certainly think from a, from a big picture perspective, uh, and I trust this source because, I mean, this is somebody who told me that, they were going after Mario Cristobal uh, in September of last year before <laughs> anything happened. So yeah. uh, I, I I fully believe this information is is accurate, and I think Miami, thankfully for them, um, they're they're in a in a better spot today than they were six months ago, twelve months ago. Yeah, I think that's that's good news in general. That you just that you know you want to be in a spot where one one person isn't direct is is it doesn't hold so many cards and you know like you said for a while john Ruiz held all the cards it seemed like everybody was doing something with life wallet and with you know his his money and Corey, this 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 is why miami needs to either join the sec or or big 10 because they know how to do it the right way there's no you don't hear about these problems at those schools those checks always clear that's <laughs> always clear no I have another since you do, since you do ACC recruiting in general, I have a question. 
because mm-hmm. Florida State has a top five class. They've just made a couple yeah. of really notable signings. Uh, Charles Lester, one of the top cornerbacks in the nation. Uh, K.J. Bolden, the top safety in the nation. Uh, they're still in on a few other kids. Obviously, their NIL collective is doing a lot of work because there's no way those kids came cheap. Um, has their class, I mean, giving you know all your connections around the conference, has their class kind of turned some people's heads like, what are they doing down there in Tallahassee? Because, you know, Mike Norvell always never been known as like a top five class level recruiter. He's never really had those sort of staffs. And they, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're bringing home the bacon right now. They really are. And uh, it's funny. I, I, I got to spend about 10 minutes uh, on my own with Mike uh, at the end of the ACC media uh, event up in up in Charlotte. And I told him I wanted to talk to him just about the work that, that his guys do in the transfer portal, because really, let's face it, that's that's why the Seminoles are in the position that they're in. When you can you know go out and get a, a Jordan Travis and a Jared Verse and, and all the guys that they've pulled in through the transfer portal, uh, it puts you in a position for a quick turnaround. Uh, but now you're right. I mean, now is when they're really starting to recruit well. Uh, the first three years he was there, it really wasn't happening for them on the trail. And, and the focus was the portal. So um, I, I think it certainly surprised some people. Um, but, you know, when you when you get things rolling the way Florida State does, when Miami gets things rolling, um, if and when that happens, uh, it's kind of easy. It sort of recruits itself because kids want to be a part of that tradition. Um, and and now with NIL having a strong NIL collective like Florida State does, that makes the makes it even easier. Um, I th- I think uh, their collective has done a phenomenal job uh, working with these kids, uh, showing that, uh, that 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 they're going to get paid right. Sh- showing examples on the on the current team that hey, when you get to Florida State. Uh, there's there's real paydays for you, et cetera. So, um, again, just a credit to Mike Norville and, and the job he's done. I, I personally didn't think that they were going to be able to get back, you know, get it all together this quickly uh, when he first got the job. I'm thinking, man, this this is a guy who, uh, you know, hasn't had success necessarily at the power five level. He's a group of five guy. How's he going to turn things around? after everything they went through with Willie Taggart and uh, but they, but they've done it. They've, they've done a phenomenal job and, and kudos to Florida state for uh, really putting themselves in position going into this year uh, to sign a class like this and, and to elevate the program. Now, my thing is they've got to deliver and they've got to win this year because if they fall flat on their face and they go nine and three or eight and four and, 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 and don't deliver, I could see this class sort of falling apart and um and losing some of these kids but if they deliver they get to the playoff uh, or win the acc this year i think this is this is just going to take off for them yeah i i just think it shows you that as long as you have somebody competent at these schools that it, it's it's possible i mean you saw it for a long time at usc they hired the wrong coach they hired the wrong coach and people said they'd never get back and then they hire Pete Carroll, and Pete Carroll takes them to two national championships. And then they hire the wrong coach, and they hire the wrong coach, and now they got the right. It's just it's amazing to me that these programs that have so much potential that the administrators miss this badly over and over and over again. And I think, you know, it seems like Florida State got there with Norvell that they finally found the right fit, that he's not only a very good X's and O's coach, but he's competent enough that if they show any promise – that Florida State recruits itself. I always said, listen, Florida State, Miami, Florida, when you walk in with that shirt, it gets you the front of the line. It doesn't guarantee you that you're going to land a kid. But when you walk into one of these high schools down here and you have that logo, it puts you at the front of the line. It gives you a chance to land that kid first. And basically, you as a program have to screw it up. And all three have done a very good job of doing that the last like five to six years and it's amazing that they've all done it at the same time. Like they've all yep. been down. They all hired the wrong coaches. And it's not a listen, it's not a knock against those coaches. I blame the programs. Like people want to always go, well, man, Willie Taggart, you know, he, he's it. Listen, Florida State hired him. They didn't, they, they got desperate. Jimbo left and they basically offered Taggart everything because that's who they wanted. And I don't blame the coach. The coach just took the job, the money. Anybody would have taken those jobs. It's the universities that just continue to like stab themselves in the back and inflict these self-inflicted wounds. And it's their fault. I don't blame anybody but the universities themselves because these schools do have a lot to offer and it's on them to hire the right coach. And I don't, I think they've made it difficult themselves with the guys they've hired. 
Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think you you see situations where you hire a guy and, you know, and in the cases of like, you know, with, you know, I think a lot of times the programs just didn't put the support behind them that they needed to be successful. You know, right away they might have saw one or two things they didn't like. And instead of addressing those things, it's just like we're just going to, you know, we're going to let this guy fail and just you end up paying out a lot of money, you know. Willie, I think, is still collecting on that buyout. So it's like good for him, you know. Yeah. Hey, you know what? He was the one who got Jordan Travis to that school. So, yeah. you know, it's, that that paid back in dividends. So, yeah. hey. Well, just, just to piggyback on your guys' point real quickly, if you look at all of our state schools um, and you th- look at the amount of money that is being invested into football now versus what it was five, ten years ago, Miami's having a brand new, you know, it's going to be a $200-plus million football facility built on campus. Uh, USF is getting a new football stadium on campus. Uh, Florida State, uh, they're, they're, what did they raise? $100 million for their new football facility. Florida just opened theirs. Um, you know, UCF, uh, they, they've made huge strides going Always to the Big 12. Over there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're, they're spending now. Miami's spending on their coaching staff. Those are all important things. When people say, what happened to the state of Florida? Well, everybody else kept spending money, and, and none of our schools really started. And I think that's been a huge issue. And now you've got NIL, you've got these collectives doing well, you've got the schools pumping money uh, into the into the football programs. That's going to make them better. Yeah. Uh, where do you? I know you cover the whole state when it comes to recruiting. Uh, we 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 don't really want to talk about what Florida has done in the transfer portal because that's where you get guys like Graham Mertz at. So let's talk about what they've done <laughs> on the recruiting trail. Was they yes. got a top five class? Yes. Um, do you sit? You know, they, they got to give Billy Napier some time. I, I think, you know, obviously next year is a crucial year to show some progress, but he, he seemed to be walked, he seemed to have walked into a bit of a trap down there in Gainesville, and he's just now starting to grab a shovel and kind of dig his way out of it. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's not a pretty situation what he, what he walked into in terms of uh, roster turnover, right? Um, you had guys leave via the portal. You had guys go via the draft. Uh, he had talent to work with last year. I mean, Anthony Richardson was the number four overall pick. Uh, just couldn't really seem to figure it out on on, yeah. on the offensive side of the ball with him. So to me, some of this was, uh, you know, pointing the gun at yourself a little bit. Uh, but look, he's done a phenomenal job. Uh, the, the Gator Collective, after the Jaden Rashada mess, they've gotten their act together. Uh, they obviously, you know, I've done a tremendous job getting commitments from DJ Lagway, uh, you know, an elite quarterback, one of the best in the country out of Texas. They've got one of the best corners in the country and Xavier Filsaim, uh, you know, some some really talented linebackers in this class. Miles Graham, Adarius Hayes, uh, Jamonte Waller out of Mississippi. You know, Napier's a guy who uh, when you look at his experience of where he's coached in the past, it doesn't surprise me that he can recruit at this kind of level. He did a phenomenal job. Uh, in Louisiana, putting together a really, really good group of five team and, and where he's been prior to that, uh, the, the kind of job he's done recruiting on the trail. Um, so Florida, they're, in, they're headed in the right direction. My fear with Florida is if they're not respectable this year, if they go five and seven or four and eight, which is very possible because they've got probably the toughest schedule in America this year, um, if you really struggle and bomb – how many of these kids are going to pull out and say, you know what? I don't know if I'm, I'm if I want to go to Gainesville and, and be a part of getting killed for the next couple of years because we just don't have enough talented players. You know, sometimes kids do that right throughout the recruiting process. Um, that instead of thinking, hey, I'm the solution, they kind of back off and say, yeah, I'm 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 still only 18 years old and uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to just go in there right away and 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 dominate the way I want because I'm going to have to be the guy. So. It's a very interesting and I think precarious situation that Billy Napier finds himself in being in the SEC. It's sort of a, you know, if if you do well, here come the riches. Everybody's going to want to come play for you because you play in the SEC and you're you're in the uh, technically the premier program in the state of Florida, right? They're playing yeah. in the highest league possible. Whereas if you go out there and you're terrible, well, some of those kids are going to want to jump uh, out, out of the boat. So. Uh, I think it's 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 going to be a very interesting season in Gainesville. I think when people take score this year, uh, and and they and they say, wait, what's Florida's record at the end of the year? If they get to six, seven wins, uh, I think Florida probably keeps 
95% of its class. I think anything below that, it's like, man, this thing could blow up quickly in Napier's face. Yeah, I, I, you know, Corey, and I, I'll jump in real quick. I, yeah. I, I look at it a little different that, than that they need to hit a certain win record. I have to believe that Billy Napier is a smart guy and his staff smart. They've watched that team practice in the spring and in the fall that they're selling that to these kids. Like, listen, the, I'm not saying they're telling kids we're going four and eight, but it's part of their recruiting pitch. Like, Hey, you're going to come in here and have a chance just like Mario did last year. He sold that. Um, and yeah, that, that you see this year, they're struggling a little bit. I think this class is really the same equivalence of what Mario did last year at Miami that I think a majority of these kids are going to stay because Unless they're sell, I can't imagine they're telling these kids, "Hey, we're going to go win the SEC this year and compete for the national title." If they're doing that, then that's on them. Uh, they're not being realistic. But I believe that that's part of the thing that they're selling. Hey, listen, we're going to struggle a little bit. We're, we're going to we're going to coach these kids up. We're going to have a a good team. You guys come in in the next year or two. We are going to compete with Georgia and win national titles and SEC championships. But you guys are the ones that are going to get us here. I think the key to this class is keeping lagway once if you keep him the quarterback who's an elite guy that's going to get a lot of pub most of these kids are going to follow if they lose him then i do agree he's the key cog to this class if he goes then the rest of the class will fall apart but if he's there and he sticks most of these kids are going to go all right they already know what's going to happen this year on the field and florida these guys are going to be the ones that take them to that next level this class is is I mean Corey and I every day we 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 see these kids they they get another big time kid I mean the kid that I like they got the Wardell Mack kid out of Louisiana this week and you go watch his film tell me there's a better corner I know the kids rated a four star on these networks I don't know who's rating these kids but 230 if they're 231 better players in the country than this kid then man this is a loaded year for football players in the country because Wardell Mack you go watch his film that looks like a kid that starts at Alabama or LSU and goes in the NFL in three years and is a first round pick. I mean, he's a special talent. This kid's rated like literally like the 15th player in, in UF's class. So that shows you the depth of the talent of their class this year that they're getting these guys and there's that many guys rated ahead of them. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would agree with you that Lagway is obviously the linchpin to this class, as would any, you know, any, any, uh, quote unquote, uh, I don't want to say franchise quarterback, but any, you know, elite level quarterback would be to a class because, you know, he gives the class credibility. He gives everything that what Napier is doing right now, credibility. And it's the idea of that, uh, you know, this kid wouldn't join a sub 500 program unless he believes that the coach has things headed in the right direction. So, and I, I think they'll do whatever it takes to keep him. And I, I agree with you. I think with, him staying, you're going to see a lot of kids staying and following with him because they want to play with him. They believe in what his ability is to, to help turn this thing around. My last question to you, Manny, because uh, I figure you're going to be dealing with this a lot this year and in the upcoming years. Where is the ACC headed? And we know Florida <laughs> State has made it clear they they're not they're not leaving yet, but they're not they they're letting you know like their the lease is running out for them. Like if this, if they were renting, they're letting you know that they're, they're looking to buy somewhere else. They're not looking to stay for long. And I'll tell you this. I was shocked when I heard the four no's for the uh, Cal Stanford expansion. It was like Florida State expected that. Clemson expected that. NC State expected that. Did not expect North Carolina. I thought it would be Miami instead of North Carolina. I was a little surprised. Not so much that Miami was cool with it, but that North Carolina was against it, especially after the way they had chastised Florida State for leaving. And the fact that they know that they got, they're, they're trying, I would assume they're trying to keep these two programs on the vine because they're going to lose somebody and they need to replace them with somebody. And it's like, yeah, do we want to go West Coast to Stanford or Cal? Eh, no, but if you look at what those schools have in terms of their athletic academics the the kind of the mixture they fit in very well with georgia tech with virginia with north carolina with miami they fit in well with wake forest and duke and maybe that you know maybe if florida state and clemson left 
and maybe somebody else, maybe NC State leaves too, uh, you know, always keep an eye on NC State. Like that's a spot that you can bring in those two schools and maybe Notre Dame now seeing an easier ACC conference football-wise would be more interested in joining as a football team, especially if the conference would either let them work out their own TV deal still or give them some sort of a sweetener to make it worth their while. You know, because Notre Dame, like, they want to play against those kind of academically, those academic strong schools like that. They like, they play Stanford annually. I'm sure they wouldn't mind playing Cal because they've got a footprint on the West Coast. The idea that they could play Syracuse and Virginia, North Carolina and have kind of a footprint in three different regions kind of fits what they do. And they would be kind of, and you know, they would be a school that they would be expected to finish near the top of the conference. So that's me rambling about where I think the ACC could be headed, but you would know a lot more. Where is the ACC headed? It's a great question, Corey. And I think it's filled with a bunch of different layers uh, to it, right? Uh, Obviously you have the teams that aren't happy with the TV contract, uh, mainly Florida State and Clemson, who I think uh, deservedly so deserve more money, right? Uh, More of the cut of what the ACC is is able to give out because they are the most – uh, watched programs. I, I will say this, uh, talking about the West Coast teams, a year ago when USC and UCLA announced they were headed to the Big Ten, I had two two administrators in the ACC mention Stanford and Cal. They said if, if the Pac-12 were to break up or if it were to get to a point where um, they, you know, some of the teams were leaving, Cal and Stanford would be teams that they would target. And and I mentioned this on a couple of podcasts and people kind of gave me the weird side eye. Like, what are you talking about? They're on the other side of the country. Why would the ACC do this? And, but it's exactly for what you discuss. It's the academic prowess of both of those institutions. The fact that they are two of the best, the fact that they're in the San Francisco market. So I think a- the ACC has been thinking about this. At least some administrators in the ACC have been wanting to make a move like this to, like you said, make the conference more global. Um, I just did a uh, oddly specific predictions column for The Athletic that's going to run on the website Thursday, uh, August 17th. And I can tell you um, that I predicted that uh, the ACC, that Florida State is going to figure out a a way out of the conference uh, in terms of the grant of rights and and. You know, I know that they're very, very confident from people I've spoken to in Tallahassee uh, that they can get out of the grant of rights, that they the deal that essentially ties the ACC together with ESPN through 2036. How they do that, I don't know. I've spoken to a lot of other lawyers who, who think otherwise, but Florida State's people certainly, certainly believe they can. Uh, so uh, let's take their word for it. Let's say they do. Uh, I think that they're going to end up in the Big Ten. I think that's where their administration wants them to be. I think the SEC conference um, is happy with the 16 teams that they've got. They like their getup. They like the big checks that they're able to split uh, over there. I think the Big Ten, uh, their TV deal expires in 2030, um, whereas the SEC, I believe, is 2034, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, but they're both going to be making 30 to $40 million more than, you know, each of those schools are making 30 to $40 million more annually uh, every year than, than the other power conferences. So the ACC is in trouble. They have, they have issues. And if Florida state and Clemson find a way out, I assume they go to the big 10. I would assume Miami would want to be on that gravy train as well. Um, but ultimately this comes down to one thing. And, and to me, that's the big 10 wanting Notre Dame. So if Notre Dame tells the big 10, the same way they told the ACC, um, we want you to take Stanford and Cal because we like playing Stanford every year and, and we want them to be a part of this with us. Um, I could see the Big Ten uh, taking a couple of the ACC's best teams, taking Stanford and Cal, and then taking Notre Dame uh, as sort of the big prize. I don't see Notre Dame joining the ACC in any way, shape, or form. I just don't think for them the money works out. Um in, in the way that they want it, the situation that they want it. So uh, to answer your question, I know I rambled on just like you did t- hitting on a bunch of t- big topics yeah. there, well, no, Sorry, no, but, but uh, I, I think for me, the way I view this is you're right. I think the ACC has to be proactive so that they can keep their league together. They're still the third, them and the big 12 are essentially the third highest paying uh, conference schools. 
Uh, the Big 12 made major moves. They're going to be a really good conference going forward. I think they're positioned well. I think the ACC wants to do the same. And I think once uh, Clemson and FSU find a way out, uh, they're going to need replacements. So I could see them pushing really hard to add some teams here in the next couple of years. Yeah. My, yeah, my only thing with Notre Dame and the ACC is I think if the ACC, if they, they think outside the box and they let Notre Dame negotiate their indiv- an individual TV deal on top of whatever money they get, it would be a sweetener enough to get them to join because they would have to pay them more money. They would just have to. Like at a certain point, I get how schools – I get how, you know, some schools are a little hesitant to give FSU and Clemson more money, but this is Notre Dame. They have a much – they have – they are still the national footprint in college football. You give them more money because they give you – because whatever you make off of them, is going to be far more than what you're paying them at the end of the day. It just their value is just their value is just so much higher uh, than than other programs. But that's my thoughts, and I, I see where you're coming from. And so the Big Ten can go to 24 teams apparently. Like, the, is the Big yeah. Ten just going to be its own NFL? They're going to have like <laughs> they got to just have their own wild card and their own like playoff system and everything. It they could. Like they I, I could see them very well going to 11 conference games, right? And and you play. Uh, everybody in your in your half, right? If it's two 12-team divisions, you play everybody, 11 conference games, one out of conference game, and uh, that's how you get Notre Dame to jump in. You give them everybody that they normally want on their schedule, uh, and you let them play those teams, and, and, and you figure it out. Um, that's why I think ultimately the Big Ten is going to win out here. Plus, they've got more TV partners, yeah. uh, you know, between NBC and Fox and I forget who else is a part. I think uh, NBC, P- Fox, and CBS. Yeah, they got yeah, three, all three, three of them. Uh, so they yeah. they've got more TV dollars to work with, whereas SEC is completely tied in with ESPN through twenty thirty four. I and and the SEC. I mean, I did a, a a big story on Florida State and Miami and their flirtation with the SEC for many many years for the Athletic. I did that piece. Um, they've always because of Florida in a lot of ways. I think sort of pushed Florida State and Miami away. So I I just don't think that's the landing spot for either one of those schools. I think if they end up anywhere else, it's the Big Ten. Yeah. Steve Spurrier came out very adamant about saying the SEC should add Florida State and either Miami or Clemson or whatever, basically by saying that, you know, it just makes too much geographical sense. And he's like, you know, hey, you know, if Florida has to play them every year, why shouldn't the rest of the conference have to play them every year? So, yeah. Yeah, which well, I, I, don't, I, I mean, if they stay, if they don't join the conference, and I know people say it's crazy, I really don't see the purpose of Florida State playing Florida anymore, other than, oh, it was a, I would a, agree. a lot yeah. of teams have rivalries, but why should you give them that game if you're not going to be in that conference? I mean, Florida State already plays, no other team really plays Miami, Clemson, and Florida every year. Why should they? Uh, make their schedule that much more difficult. And I, I wouldn't give them the benefit of the doubt. And with Notre Dame, I just don't understand. Like, at what point will is ACC that hammer going to hit them enough times in the face? I said 10 years ago they should have gone after Texas and Oklahoma and gave them whatever deal they wanted. Like, how am I thinking this? But these idiots on ta- Tobacco Road haven't figured it out. Like, get Notre Dame in the conference and give them whatever they want. It's it, it's whatever you give them is wow. going to be a great deal. Trust me, you'll benefit with them being in the conference full time in football. Give them what they want, negotiate it out. I, I just don't get it. It's like they well, they just conti- let's just add Cal and Stanford, two more academic schools, and I think they're both great programs from the academic standpoint. But gee, they don't really bring a whole lot other than they're just. Hey. Stanford will bring you some water polo national championships. Oh, that's great. Now. Like you, yeah. you, Stanford's won like they've won national titles in like twenty different sports. I like, know they, I know anything, they have, but it ain't football. Anything other than football and basketball and baseball, they will win it for you. They'll what <laughs> pickleball? Their pickleball team is just dope. <laughs> what what one thing I was just gonna add uh, to all this? The ACC's had opportunities to add teams. They've just always taken a very arrogant approach to we're a basketball league right college basketball is going to carry the flag we're going to be the college basketball league forever and ever and ever so when they added florida state and made them the ninth team in 1992 they actually had a chance prior to that to add miami in the in the middle of all those national championships miami was interested in going to the ACC. they didn't want them penn state was interested before they joined the big 10 and joining the acc because they recruit the hell out of Maryland and Virginia. And that to them was sort of like, Hey, we're, we're even stronger in that, in that foothold. And yet nobody in the ACC acted. 
Uh, instead, uh, in 2004, they finally decided to get the act together for football. And, of course, they take Miami when, when Miami's on the downside of well, things. Down and in, yeah. Frank, Frank Beamer's, you know, headed towards retirement. So Yeah, but I mean, uh, like, Texas and Oklahoma were the two programs. When you saw realignment was going, like, they should have been on the phone heavy with those two programs and said, yeah, hey, once the Pac-12 decided not yeah. to take them stupidly, by, I yeah. might add, ACC should have jumped all over that. I mean that was because that the already that that was the reason the Longhorn Network was kind of in existence yep. was because they were uh you know ESPN kind of figured that they were not gonna they were gonna they wanted to get into another conference without technically paying to get into the other conference because they already had a Big Twelve deal so yeah it, it didn't make a it didn't it does, like you said I think the ACC has been pretty arrogant been pretty lazy about thinking this thing through they've let a lot of things happen that they weren't part of. I mean, they really should have, they should have been in that grab bag for the PAC 12 schools as they were all like, as they, like that thing, they started the day going to sign a grant of rights with Apple. They ended the day with like nine schools leaving. Like I'd never seen anything like that before. So it's uh it's, it's rapidly changing and it's going to change a lot more. I think. I agree. It's uh it's not over and, and uh, Florida state's certainly not going to let it go, even though we're past the August 15 deadline for uh for them leaving the conference after the the, the 24 season. Um, but, you know, it's going to be talked about, and, and I'm interested to see when uh, that report comes out of Tallahassee. Hey, we're challenging the ACC's grant of rights. We're going yeah. to court to face I mean, it. If, you wow. look at, if, you, if you look at it, I don't believe any judge on, at the end of the day is going to sit there and go, hey, listen, this deal – can cripple your program. I'm okay with it. I know you guys sign it, but it, it's that ironclad that you're telling a program, Hey, we have this much more potential. We're not allowed to do it because of a grant, this grant of rights. When the, the ESPN did not work in good faith, they told them that the ACC channel would be this great channel and there's going to be extra revenue. That was not true. The ACC network has been a disaster. I just don't think that they, they have, that strong of a case like people think. And at some point you have to sit there like a Rutgers did in these other programs that joined the big 10. All right. Once we start to shrink what we owe, if we get 75 to hundred million, that extra money is basically paying for some of that loss. And now, yeah, well, we're going to have to wait five years, but those five years are paid off with this extra money that you're getting that it makes too much sense. And you finally say, you know what, we're going to take the $200 million hit because we're making it back joining this other conference. And I think eventually that's what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem, the problem with that deal that they signed in 2011, the ACC signed was that, like you said, it included the network, which the idea is that this is going to make up for inflation. They obviously assume finances are going to change. Inflation happens at all levels, but the network will continue to add, 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 add on to always stay competitive. Now they all make an extra, what, eight to $10 million off the network, but they were expecting that to be about 30 million by then. And frankly, ESPN just didn't put any money into it. They figured they put all their money into the SEC network, which right. I get it. It gets a whole hell of a lot more viewership. You know, the SEC is the one they've got their own version of college game day. They've got, they've got so many more live programs. They get fine bomb in the afternoon. Like they've got ad revenue streams coming in in all different directions for that channel. They just did not, do any of that for the they just didn't do anything for the ACC. They just even even the stuff that they do now it seems begrudgingly just because they're just whining like oh fine we'll give them a two hour pregame like you know <laughs> it's just it really is sort of a who cares but you know we'll throw we'll throw EJ Manuel and a couple of people out there for a few hours and talk some games no one's watching you know that's what they're thinking. So. Sad state. Uh, hopefully the ACC figures it out because the, the reality is, guys, whether or not we're headed to sort of an NFL model in college football, there are going to be teams left out. OK, they're going to be brands. When this thing shakes out, do we really think Rutgers and Vanderbilt and uh, some of these schools on the lower end of the Big Ten and the SEC are going to keep their spot and keep bringing in huge paydays because they're being grandfathered in? No, the TV networks want the best. Uh, games they want the ratings they want people tuning in to watch and so uh, there's going to be huge upheaval and and I also think we haven't really entered the phase of suffering yet right like the baseball teams uh, on the west coast and the, and the softball teams out in the west coast in the Pac-12 
uh, haven't like Oregon hasn't had to fly to play Rutgers yet. They haven't had to fly to Maryland yeah. to play Maryland in the regular season. Like all of that stuff is really going to rear its head here in the next few years. And when all of those other sports are pissed that they have to, to travel that far, it's to me, it's it, we're going to head towards an era where uh, football, I think, is going to become a completely separate entity yeah. from the rest of the conference. Well, so, if, if you look at college hockey, like there's not a lot of college hockey programs. So they have the their conference alignment is completely different from every other sport. Like they have I think the Big Ten kind of exists. But other than that, it's like the East Coast Hockey Conference. And it's just a bunch of schools that are I think that's going to happen with definitely softball definitely women's volleyball i think baseball will eventually get there too maybe not as quickly because they can there's probably a little bit more money in baseball but i can see a situation where they're just going to be like we're going to just combine with other like big west school schools and our and that's going to be we're going to have our own conference and that's just what it's going to be because it's not so much to the finances it's the idea that it's it's you're taking a whole day you're supposed Remember, the NCAA is supposed to care about the student. And you're taking you're telling them we're gonna take a whole day to fly commercially from Eugene, Oregon to to Piscataway, New Jersey. And you're taking a whole like on a midweek, and then they gotta fly all the way back. That's taking like two days out of a student schedule there to make the, to make that sort of a trip. Uh, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I I I agree. Listen, the other sports are gonna go separate. They, they could keep their titles, the Pac-10 or Pac-12. They could keep it for the other sports. Maybe they don't have football, but they have the other sports, and they'll just play regional teams. I That I agree with. Uh, but at the end of the day, these sports, um, not, the other sports, a lot of people really don't care about. I think, and it's sad, but that's just the reality. People care about football. That's what they want. I've talked to you about this many times, Corey, when it's come to this expansion. Florida State and Miami, you go look at when they play on national TV, whether Florida State played LSU last year, they played Notre Dame, they played Miami. These are the highest rated games over and over. And that's what these networks want. They want eyeballs. And they're not going to get left out. I tell people, oh, well, Miami's going to get get left out. Listen, the Miami market, I don't know how many millions of people are there are there, but a lot of them watch football a lot more than and nothing against Starkville, but they watch there's more people that watch Miami games than watch Mississippi State games. And that's what the networks are looking at. That eyeballs and who we can sell, those programs at the end of the day are not going to get left out of this situation. It's just not going to happen. No. And I say this, I say college football in general has to be careful about going too close to the NFL model. Because if the NFL decides, you know what, they're a bit more of a competitor than they are a complement, then the NFL's going to go after their TV. It's like, you know what, we can do Saturday games too. And we make a lot more money and we have a lot more. Like there's no college football team that can match what an NFL team is is doing in terms of viewership, not even close. And then I felt so, could also tell kids too, hey, listen, we're going to drop the, you don't have to wait till <laughs> your junior year. You could yeah, come I mean, out. And what happens when you start having freshmen and sophomores leave, the wa- game's going to really get watered down. You know, yeah, college football, I think is, is teetering on a really, uh, they're teetering on a bit of a, of a, of a, of a, of a live wire here. It's okay. uh, you know, they've got to be careful about how they expand and, when, and to make sure they don't step on the NFL's toes, because the NFL can make college football, they can make them obsolete very quickly. No, Tony, tell people how you can be reached at on all of your social media. You are a social media butterfly. Tell yes. them how you can be reached on social media. Well, if you want to follow me on Twitter, X, uh, whatever, whatever it's called these days, it's Manny underscore Navarro. Uh, it's the same place I've been for many, many years now on Instagram. I'm Manny Navarro, 614 on Instagram. Not that I post a ton of stuff there, but uh, a lot of, lot of cute, lot of cute daughter photos. Yes. A lot of cute daughter Lots photos. of cute daughter photos. Yes. That's where I get. She looks like her mom. Head. I tell you, she looks so much like, they look so much thank, like her mom. Thank so. God. Thank God. <laughs> looks like mom. Um, no, my, uh, so, so that's where I am social media and, and, uh, my podcast, the wide right podcast available on YouTube. It's also available wherever you download podcasts, uh, and all of my work, uh, written work is at the athletic.com. Yes. Always a pleasure to have Manny Navarro on the show. We always learn something new a few weeks before your world gets turned upside down and you're traveling all across the coast to coast to, uh, 
see a lot of football games and then, you know, you go right into basketball season. So happy to have this time with you. I hope you had a good summer uh, with the kids and with the family. Cause as we know, once August comes, it's just from August to May, it's just go, 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 go. So that's right. Nonstop. Absolutely. Appreciate you having you all. Manny Navarro from the athletic breaking it down for us, giving us some education, telling us about everything that's going on in college football. Thank you, Manny. Thanks, Manny. Good talking to you guys. Take it easy. All right, Fish, it was another great show. Love having Manny Navarro on. Uh, you'll be giving us an update on Ethan as he heads into his new uh, youth football venture. How was the transfer portal for uh, youth football? Was it? Did you find it to be? Did you get a lot of phone calls? Did you get a lot no, of, I of just, I just, I had one guy that um, saw Ethan at a actually a UM camp. Uh, kitty camp two years ago and really liked him and has wanted a, him to be on his teams for a while now. And I've kind of like, you know, hesitated, hesitated, hesitated. And then he, he was, he kept calling me saying, how is he doing at the other practices? I kept him, you know, in like in depth of what was going on. And he finally, I was like, you know what? He likes the coach. The coach likes him. Let him just go over there and play at that park, you know? So, yeah. Well, that's that's good to hear. That's good to hear. What else do you have? So, th- is this uh, are we at are we at kickoff classic week in high school football? Yeah, it's this week. Uh, they start tonight. Edison plays okay. um in a kickoff classic against Miramar, and then I think uh, there's one other game. There Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays. There's games every day, basically. I mean, that's how high school football's got now that they they they're like the NFL. They just take up every day of the week. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Dade, Dade County football is like five days a week now. <laughs> it is all the time. Well, listen, uh, I obviously will be, we'll be talking a lot more, and uh, I, I always wish you good health and uh, good luck as you go through your season. I know you got, you'll have people at all the places filming games, taking care of that. It's a, it's a, I, uh, I, I'm used to getting those 11 p.m. Friday night calls from you, whether you're talking about a film or like, Corey, you wouldn't believe what happened this week. Oh, I'd believe it. <laughs> so, that first, if you can get past those first two weeks, I think you'll be fine. So, yeah. 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 Anyway, thank you to Justin Otto. He's our producer and handles all of our producing. Thank you to uh, Stephanie Romanski, who handles our social media. Came on to the team. We appreciate you. Thank you to everybody else. Uh, you can see, you can catch us on Twitter X at the Fish Podcast. And uh, we'll be back real soon with another amazing guest. Right? Right we'll have another guest next time. Okay, good. We'll have another guest next time. Yep. Thank you all for listening. Take care. Yeah.